Let me tell you exactly what you can expect right now. We're going to do an analysis, a biblical analysis of the teachings of Bill Johnson uh, and Chris Vallotton. And really the focus is going to be on understanding what it is that they teach and their practices. So this will be about the movement that's not that's being inspired by Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton and, and Bethel Church in Redding, California. This isn't just about them. It's about their whole movement, which is worldwide. And I want to do this very carefully. So I've compiled a bunch of not only quotes, but video clips of their actual teachings so that you guys can get from the horse's mouth. This is really what they teach. I'm not going to take them out of context. I've gone through well, probably 60 hours of footage of their stuff over the past months, trying to gather this information, understand it. And I think I understand where they're coming from. And I think I understand it. It makes sense to me. So I feel like I can explain it to you. So uh, by way of introduction, here's how the format's going to go. We'll talk about how Bethel's movement got started, how it's engineered in order to create a signs and wonders kind of uh, momentum that they have going in their movement. We'll talk about specific issues related to their theology and their hermeneutic or the way that they interpret the Bible. I have some, some concerns about the way they're interpreting the Bible. We'll talk about issues related to how they perform prophecy and how they do healing. And we will specifically deal with of course, Bethel, but again, it's worldwide. Um, and here's how I'm approaching this. <clears throat> I am not going to do this like pretty much almost everyone I've seen do this. Just about everybody I've seen do this. They're either defending Bethel, but not looking at Bethel's teaching. So they're defending Bethel, but they're not being thoughtful about, but what are they really teaching? Like I'm defending the people, but I'm not responding to the teachings and practices. You get what I mean? So there's a defense of the individual's without an examination of what's going on. On the other side, you have people who examine them and sometimes will attack them and really demonize them. Um, I'm not here to attack or defend. My goal actually was clarity, to give clarity. Now, I do have opinions and I will share them freely and openly, but I want clarity. I want to try to take them at their word as much as possible. I don't want to try to look for like secret, shadowy, demonic things going on just outside of my vision as I'm watching their videos and stuff. Rather, I want to really take them at their word and have integrity in how I deal with the stuff that they've said. I also don't want to make them guilty by association. Um, like for instance, back in uh, 2016, Bill Johnson shared a stage with Benny Hinn. Um, now, if you don't know that Benny Hinn is like way off the charts, weird theologically and in other ways, then he is, I'm not going to, this isn't what the video is about, but that doesn't mean that Bill Johnson is the same as Benny Hinn. And they're very different kinds of kinds of guys. They're not even going for the same thing. Yeah, they both do signs and wonders things, but they're totally different than each other. And we do we do ourselves a favor by recognizing the difference, and it keeps us from uh, making them guilty simply by association. Um, they're not really associated deeply. They shared a stage one time. That's about it. Um, and I and I actually think Bill Johnson is is saved. I don't know whether he's saved or not. I don't. I mean, in the sense that I don't know, you know, conclusively about a lot of things, but I do think he's saved. And I think Chris Vallotton, the, the prophet of Bethel, I think he's also probably saved. Um, I could be wrong here. Um, and I think even real prophecy and real healing are coming out of this group. But I also think fake stuff is coming out of this group. And I think the ratio of real to fake is concerning. And so please listen all the way through to the end so that you can hear a very balanced handling of the subject. If you just grab a little bit of this and run with it, you won't get the whole story. So let's talk about it. Here we go. Uh, Bethel is a church in Redding, California, which is Northern California. I live in Southern California, but we've been exposed to people from their fellowships and from their churches coming into our churches uh, in, in, in the recent past and ministries around us. Uh, Bill Johnson was the pastor, is the pastor up in Bethel, Redding, California. He was, um, 
really a guy who was just desperate for revival and he wasn't seeing it in his time, not in his opinion. And he was a pastor up in a, a city called Weaverville. And in Weaverville, he was there for years where it started, where he had no revival. And then as he progressed, he, he got great revival. And then in 1996, he was asked to come to Bethel, which was where his dad had previously pastored. When he came to Bethel, Bill says, and I'll quote, this is from his website. He says, we moved back to Bethel Church in Reading in 1996. That was when I was a junior in, in high school. <laughs> After the leadership there unanimously supported one condition, my one condition. I was born for revival and would pursue revival. This was not negotiable. So Bill's thing was like, I want revival and I will settle for nothing less. I'm going to have revival. End of story. And that was something that they said, okay, we're going to support that. And But by revival, Bill doesn't just mean... I want to see the work of God. He really meant a specific kind of engineered revival. And we'll get into that in a second. About half of his church left not too long after that because they didn't like what was going on. Um, but then what happened was Bill changed the culture of Redding, of, of Bethel and Redding, California. And that culture of the church shifted what, how they think about revival, how they think about prophecy, how they thought about and, and practiced healing and how they how open they were to different experiences. This sort of all changed and shifted with with his um, his pastoring of the church. And the church now had a new culture. And now, now what they're doing is they're saying, we don't just want revival for us. We want this same revival we feel we have. We want it around the world for everybody. So Bethel is just one church in Reading. And if that's all it was, I wouldn't be talking about it. But they are so much more than that. Bethel is the spearhead of a worldwide movement going on right now. One that is, it has incredible momentum. Their momentum's skyrocketing right now, right? Like, like, you know, the, the pink haired preachers on TBN, like that momentum is gone. I mean, most of us are like, yeah, that's not really, but the, the momentum that's going on with Bethel is just whew, skyrocketing up and that's what they want. That's their goal. So this live stream is a lot bigger than just being about Bethel. It's rather focusing on the core or the center of what is really a very large movement worldwide. And it's a little hard to define if you decide, if some people call this the NAR. I don't use that term because they don't use that term. And why it's, it's fruitless to tell someone you're part of the NAR. And they're like, what's that? Okay. <laughs> what's the point of that conversation? They are part of a signs and wonders movement though. So we can, we can say that for certainty. So there's, there's Bethel. But then there's also Bethel's Apostolic Network. You can read about this on their website. Um, go to Bethel.com or .org, whatever it is, Bethel Redding's website. And they'll actually talk about their Apostolic Network. That is a group of churches worldwide that are part of their network. In fact, nine of them are within uh, 15 miles of my own church in Bellflower, California. Nine, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. That's in a very small area within 15 miles. Nine churches are considered in some way part of this global network, this apostolic network. Also, Bethel has not just the apostolic network. They have Jesus culture. You guys are familiar with Jesus culture. You know, Bethel music is, is, is overtaking vineyard music. Um, really, they're just kind of carrying on one sort of comes after the other there. But Jesus culture is meant to be used to not only promote music, it's an intentional, deliberate attempt to try to promote a certain kind of revival theology and practice for the church. There's also Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And they have international students going from around the world to their local school, which they've created where they're supposed to change the culture of the church. Um, so I'm just I'm just trying to establish right now that this is a big movement. This is not one little guy I'm just picking on or something like that. No, this is a big movement, okay? And the goal of the supernatural, the school of supernatural ministry, is to create in this student somebody who can kind of like be like a seed 
then they leave the school and they go to some other church in some other place in the world. And then they change that church and change that culture there. So they're trying to export all this information. I'm not making stuff up. I'm going to play a video where Bill says the same thing in just a moment. Now, in all reality, does the church need to change? I mean, do we need, do we need large worldwide change in the church of revival? Yes, we absolutely do. And so I don't, I don't deride them for any of these things that they're doing so far. I think it's needed. I think I need it. I think the world needs it to, to see the church in, in a real place of revival, not on the verge of revival, not one day we'll have revival, but really following Jesus with everything we've got, walking in self-sacrificial love, living out holy lives and being completely abandoned to the cause of the kingdom of God. Absolutely. We need that. But I don't think that that, that validates everything that they're doing. So they're exporting their culture through books, through online teaching, through seminars, revival meetings, concerts, through schools, through uh, you, you name it, you name it. This is important because the things that they're teaching aren't things you learn from reading the Bible. These are things you learn when you get around a certain environment where, where they have a bunch of extra biblical practices and habits. And I know because I've been there. I was at Anaheim Vineyard when I was uh, uh, in my teens and, and, and saw a lot of things there that you don't read about in the Bible, but, they've, but they work. Like when you create this certain environment with certain practices... It really does cause certain responses from people, and that's what they're doing. So Bethel is also building a house of generals, uh, they call it, the house of generals. And they also have um, another kind of nebulous thing they're building called the Apostolic Center. And I don't know exactly what the Apostolic Center is because in their videos, they don't describe it entirely. But basically, it's going to be a location where this stuff just goes to the next level. We're, we're exporting our, our teachings and our practices big time to the church around the world is the idea. The House of Generals is going to be a location where they have, um, it's interesting, uh, on a side note, I'll share this, where they where they have like kind of a museum of artifacts or relics from past revivals. And you come and you can touch them or you can pray over them and you can ask God for that anointing. And um, it's a little odd. And But it's going what to, it's, what's going to happen is over the next 10 years, Bethel's going to become the Mecca for the, for the hyper-charismatic movement. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm charismatic. I believe in the gifts of the spirit, but, but that's what Bethel is positioning themselves to become is the Mecca. And for not just the hyper, what they want to do is they really want to appeal to all streams of, of, of the charismatic movement, as well as anybody even who's not. So, um, this is going to be really big. Let me, let me play with you for you. Uh, the first video, this is, this is Bill Johnson talking about his mandate to change the world. So here it comes. We're, we're exporters. I don't ever want to change that. But my heart burns to be able to say, you know what, let's experiment at home. Let's get it working. Let's get, let's get the wrinkles ironed out of this thing. And let's get a model that, is, that can be uh, duplicated anywhere in the world. And let's get that model. And it's not American culture, it's revival culture. And let's take it somewhere. And let's plant it. Let's plant it through Jesus culture. Let's plant it through the music we write. Let's plant it through the conferences that we do, the conferences that we bring in people for, so that what gets modeled is is uh, makes Jesus famous and yeah. really uh, brings His presence into culture, into the environment. Okay, so they want to. Um, there we go. They want to bring their culture to change and transform the church so they can change and transform the world. And they're fully committed to this. It's not exaggeration. They want to change whole cities and whole people groups. And nothing's wrong with that unless the change you're bringing is not entirely healthy and right and good. And so 
<clears throat> it's a mixed bag with Bethel. There's things I like about it. And there's things I learn and grow from as I hear their teachings. But there's other things that I go, oh man, that's that's wrong. It's just, it's error. And what good is going to come of this kind of error? So I want to I want to share that with you today. That's what they're doing. I believe they have some great miracles going on, but also some not miracles that are, they're they pretend. They also have some twisted theology, and they and they and I'll show you this. I'll prove you this. Prove this to you today. They encourage people being fake. Um, they they honestly do. I will show you video of them encouraging people to fake prophesy, fake speak in the Lord, and um, that's coming. That's all coming up today. If you have any questions, go ahead and you can start loading them into the uh, live chat and AJ if you're watching live and AJ will send those to me at the end I will answer those questions if you're not watching live I do try to check the comments on my videos and I try to keep up with them as much as I can so I will be checking that comment section all right let's talk about the teaching of Bethel the theology of Bethel um, their theological underpinnings so Bill is um, and I had to do a lot of digging to find this out but Bill is 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 an apostle in the eyes of the people there now he never calls himself an apostle and that's the first thing, if you're from Bethel, that's the first thing you're going to say is, Bill doesn't ever call himself an apostle. But you do, don't you? Because the teaching and the vibe and the feel of Bethel is, Bill's the apostle, Chris is the prophet, we have apostles and prophets. And so we have the fullness of the of the uh, the will of God for the church. Um, so as Bill, he, he, he also thinks he's an apostle. I'm convinced, seeing hours and hours of him say this, do his teachings, I'm convinced he considers himself an apostle. Um, so... With that in mind, listen to this teaching of his where he talks about how in Acts 2.42, we have like this beautiful verse about like the four things the church did that kept them healthy and strong. And one of them was they were steadfast in the apostles' teaching. Now, I would normally think of the apostles' teaching as being those things contained in the New Testament. He's going to imply that the apostles' teaching is actually um, the fresh word that him and people like him are bringing today. So, here. so that's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about. The context is going to be out of Acts 2. Acts 2 talks about that they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to fellowship. They continually devoted is the phrase I want to work with. They were able to maintain a move of God because they continually recommitted themselves to what got them there. They recognized the distinctives of the season they were in, and they, they didn't try to pass from them too quickly. They continually devoted themselves to, and in today's case, I'll say the apostles' teaching. I, I, th I think it's interesting that the Bible doesn't include a list of the apostles' teaching, because I think, I think there are things that are always true, but there are also things that he is saying now that he wasn't emphasizing in a previous season. So I'm going to use that, that distinctive, that clarity as we approach these four things um, today. Okay, so then he's going to give, after that he gives four things that they believe. The things themselves are, um, are, not, are not what I'm going to focus on because they're just really generic things. He goes, God is good. That's one. Nothing's impossible. Jesus' blood purchased everything and we are significant. It's super generic. I sort of agree with them, but it depends on what you do with them. We'll get into what he does with those distinctives later. But first he says this. Um, it's interesting that God did not give us a list of the apostles' teachings. I don't know what that means. Uh, I mean, I know the words themselves. I understand the sentence, but I don't know the significance he's trying to draw from this. The implication is that the apostles' teaching is open. And that the teaching he's bringing today, the distinctives he's bringing, the four distinctives of Bill's ministry, that this is the apostles' teaching for today. Now, 
I don't know how to, I'm trying to be gracious here, but I don't know how to interpret that in any way other than elevating his teaching up right alongside the word of God. And I think that that is incorrect. I think it's unbiblical. Um, God didn't give us a list of teaching. No, he gave us the actual teaching, right? So I don't have a list of the apostles' teachings. I mean, in a sense I do. I could be like, oh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know. But what he did was he actually had recorded, permanently recorded the apostles' teaching. And so I have this teaching recorded in the New Testament, and I'm to continue steadfastly in it. It wasn't the apostles as in whoever happens to be calling themselves an apostle in the future. It was those specific guys. That I mean, let's interpret Acts 2.42 in its context. It's these guys. It's their teaching, which we have recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You know, we have it throughout the New Testament. So um, that misinterpretation of Acts 2.42, uh, it opens the door for him to be the apostle who's doing the teaching now. Now, he doesn't make a big thing about it. And I don't think he's he's arrogant in the sense of, uh, I don't know if he's arrogant or not, who knows his heart, but I don't think he's trying to say, look at me, I'm an apostle. Rather, he's focused on the teaching. He wants this teaching to get into everyone's hearts and minds, right? Um, like, Benny Hinn is all about the glory of Benny Hinn, or so it seems. Kenneth Copeland is, seems to be all about the glory of Kenneth Copeland. Bill Johnson is all about creating a movement throughout the church, and I don't think he cares how loud his voice is in that movement. He wants the movement to happen. So I, I, I applaud him for that sense of selflessness that's there, and I want to acknowledge it, but I don't think it's accurate. Uh, so what is the gospel? What exactly is the gospel they're getting into? Um, I do think the gospel of, of Bethel is probably intact with additions. Um, now, it's, it's tough when you add something to the gospel because if what you're adding may, may pervert the gospel to the point where it's, it's a false gospel. Um, or it, or it may not. I mean, this is a complicated issue. It depends on what you add, doesn't it? Or how you add it. Are you adding works to the gospel? That's a false gospel. So I think, but I think the Bethel gospel is intact, except for one big thing that they do, which is they include in the gospel itself, the gospel of salvation. Uh, now that the heart of the gospel, right? Jesus death and resurrection and our faith in him for salvation. That's the heart of the gospel, you know, for eternal life in Christ moving forward in the, into the future. But to them, the gospel includes something about healing today, right now. Not just the idea of healing. It includes you will be healed today, right now, in the name of Jesus. God wants to heal everybody. And that to them is central to the gospel. So here is a kind of disturbing moment where Bill quotes Galatians 2. And he uses the anathema of Galatians 2, if you're familiar with the passage. He uses it against anyone who doesn't think healing, not just healings for today, but complete and total healing every time is for today. They're, they're anathematized, which is to say they have a false gospel. Let's listen to this. I refuse to create a theology that allows for sickness. Now here we got a problem. Only one. It's a small one. The Apostle Paul gives a warning in Galatians, and he says this. He says, if I, and he's the one who brought the gospel to them, he said, if I or even an angel comes to you and preaches to you a different gospel, you're to reject it. That's amazing. An angel shows up, <laughs> and he brings you a different standard, a different gospel. Reject it. He says, even if I come back to you and I change my mind, don't pay any attention to me. All right, what gospel is it? It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the gospel of the kingdom. <sighs> okay. Let me illustrate. 
Paul refers to his thorn in the flesh, which has been interpreted by many as disease allowed or brought on by God. That's a different gospel. Jesus didn't model it, and he didn't teach it. And Paul said, you can't change the standard. That felt good. You guys all right? Yeah. Uh, what he's doing here is he's actually saying you're you're anathematized, which means you have a, you're not just cursed in the sense of like something bad will happen. You know, you have a false gospel if you don't teach that Jesus always intends healing every time. In fact, he even hung it on the idea. Some people teach that Paul's thorn in the flesh was a physical thing, was a physical illness or disease. He, it was definitely a physical ailment. Like, I don't see how you can get away around this. It was a physical ailment. That's the text. That's what it says. It was some sort of, I'm not perfectly healthy and, and, and prospering right now. Like, there's no way around it. It had to have been, even if it wasn't a disease, right? If it was like a, a limp or, or a, just, I don't know, some giant splinter sticking out of his side. Like, it still was not perfect and whole and healthy. But if I teach that now, I'm anathematized according to Bill. I've brought up a false gospel according to Bill Johnson. Um, okay, so how, how extreme is this? Does this mean that Bill's not saved? Like, I'm not sure. This is such a weird, weird theology and such a strange thing to do that I don't really fully want to go there. I want to offer the, the I don't know, like the, the kindness, at least, you know, human kindness of saying, no, I, maybe he's just wrong, but he's still saved there. And, uh, and I sure hope so. And I think he probably is, but God knows. So this is a pretty serious theological misstep. Um, but there's something that's more central to their theology. Like there's a reason why they can say this. Cause you're probably already thinking, if you know the word, you're like, wait a minute. I mean, that doesn't seem consistent. I know lots of Bible passages that seem to refute the idea that we're supposed to expect full prosperity, full, you know, healing and, and prosperity in life right now today. But how did they get around all those passages? Well, this is where we get to, like, I think the one wrong, false, doctrinal distinctive of Bethel and of the movement that they're inspiring. This is the false doctrinal distinctive. Now, you may be part of the movement and not even know this distinctive because it is buried in thousands of hours of footage of inspiring messages that are very inspiring. Okay, I'm inspired too. But when you get to the theology, you start to get to this one central theological pillar of all of their stuff. And it's this idea that we might, we, we myopically look at Jesus. We focus completely on Jesus in the Bible and we ignore everything else and we filter everything through Jesus. Now that might sound like good theology to you, but not the way they're applying it. Let me play for you some clips where they explain this teaching, how Jesus allows me to basically disregard clear teachings throughout the rest of the Bible. I'd like to suggest to you that any interpretation of scripture that differs from the standard Jesus set needs to be brought into question. Don't approve it. Why? Because the standard is Jesus. So the first one there is the standard is Jesus. Don't even allow yourself to accept an interpretation that disagrees with 
Jesus. But get this, he doesn't just mean Jesus in general. They mean Jesus who fits the description we give. Jesus who always heals. Jesus who would never cause sickness, that sort of thing. So let me let me build this case. I need to build this case for you. Uh, I'm going to play two more videos where he says similar statements at, in different settings. It's theologically immoral to allow an Old Testament revelation of God's nature usurp and surpass the clear manifestation of the Father's nature as found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's theologically immoral to do this, right? This is this is the one big no-no that you don't do. Uh, one more video to explain this in more detail. Look at how he applies it. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. He's perfect theology. It is theologically immoral to allow anything, any revelation about God that contradicts what you see in the person of Jesus, to allow that to trump your concept of what God is like. The clearest manifestation of the nature of the Father seen in the person of Jesus. He made it very clear. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How did he handle sin? How did he handle sinners? How did he handle disease? How many storms did he bless? Hello. How many storms did he bless? How many times were there life-threatening storms that he would face in the middle of the sea and he'd say, well, just go over to that city, destroy them, and it'll teach them to pray. And they'll become more like me. Is anybody alive in the building? We got concepts of the nature of God that are, that are, that are based on disappointment, not based on revelation. See, your questions about God, the questions that every one of us have, none of them have the authority to cancel a revelation. Okay, so here's what we got. We have a, a teaching, because I don't want it to, us to miss this. I literally had to hear this, you know, Jesus' perfect theology thing multiple times before I slowly, hearing it all in context. I mean, I listened to the whole study, not just the clips I'm showing you. Hearing it all in context so I could go, what do they mean by that? I mean, I kind of agree with it, but I but I'm not sure what you're doing with it. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, your friend goes, do you trust me? And you're like, I do, but why would you ask? You know, <laughs> you're, you're scaring me here with your, with your bold statement that I don't know what you'll do with. What he does with it is this. He says things like, what storm did Jesus bless? So the implication is that if I think that God might cause a storm, whether it be like a hurricane or something like that, that that's wrong because Jesus didn't cause any storms during the, the pages that we have that describe him uh, during his physical time walking on the earth. This is, this is a weird uh, way of interpreting the Bible. Instead of taking all of the Bible, the whole counsel of God's word, and saying, I believe all of the Bible, and the Bible balances things out, you know, one, one uh, portion answers, you know, a dilemma created from another, and the, the fuller teaching here gives me understanding to interpret this passage here. Instead, it's just Jesus, right? Jesus, and not Jesus, throughout the Old Testament, because Jesus said he was the, he was the I am that spoke to Moses out of the bush. Like that, not that Jesus, only the Jesus who was walking the earth during the three and a half years, not the Jesus in revelation who said, I'll kill your children with sickness. Like not that Jesus, only the, only the three and a half years. So this creates a distorted Christianity, a distorted version of uh, what we believe about Jesus. And I'll give you one more uh, clip that talks about how they, how they, how they kind of get people to come alongside with this, with, and honest, honestly, listen to this. This is philosophical gobbledygook, what I'm about to share with you. He's going to talk about how some truths are superior and some truths are inferior. 
And um, yeah, it's gobbledygook, but it's a way to get you to swallow a unbalanced teaching. We talked the other day about truths and their superior truths. There are things that are absolutely true, but there are things that are more true. Should I, should I do something easier this morning because it's morning? Are, are you guys engaging with me? Or <clears throat> maybe I should start with some stories. That might help us to... There are things that are true. But there are things that are more true. The judgment of God is true. The mercy of God is more true. Sin is a reality. His love covers a multitude of sins, so it's more true. Anything that you know about the nature of God that is not seen in the person of Jesus is an inferior truth. That was that was the whammy, right? He gives a couple examples, right? Like there's the judgment of God is true, but his mercy is more true. Then he gives another example as well. But these are these this isn't the theology. This is just the example to prepare you for the big boom moment, which is that any revelation you see in the scripture that disagrees with the person of Jesus is an inferior truth. Okay, so let me deal with the examples first, because um, I'm trying to handle this teaching and hear it in context. <clears throat> the example that uh, the judgment of God is true, but the mercy of God is more true. That's not true. This is not a biblical truth, right? I, I, you could be like, well, I think what he means by that is, but forget what you think and you wish he meant by it and just say the words themselves aren't, aren't, aren't accurate. You know, one truth is not more true than the other. Rather, I mean, God literally purchases our mercy through judgment, right? Justice and mercy have kissed, like the book of Psalms says. God's judgment is fulfilled in every human being, either through Christ being judged for them or through them being judged apart from Christ. And so judgment and mercy are not contrary or superior and inferior truths. But that's just like the warm-up, right? The, the main focus is when he says that whole thing about um, basically disregarding theological concepts and truths because Jesus is better than that. You know, like the book of Job in this, in this healing, <clears throat> in this healing thing, this like movement of, 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 of signs and wonders and healings. And I believe in signs and wonders and healings. I'm talking here about this particular movement though, Bethel's thing that they're trying to push in that movement. They, um, we'll have different interpretations of Job, depending on who you talk to the book of Job, right? Because the book of Job seems to fly in the face of all this. You know, what's interesting is Bill Johnson's interpretation of Job is, I don't know. Like he doesn't even worry about it. He doesn't even try to interpret, right? Todd White, he interprets Job by saying God didn't actually cause any of those things to happen. God didn't allow it. It was, it was Satan who did it. God didn't have it. Basically, God wasn't controlling the moment. Now you can refute that. And I, at the end of Job, it actually says, God says that he brought those things on Job. So you, you can refute that easily. But Bill Johnson doesn't even try to refute it because his philosophy, inferior and superior truths, he just says this, and I quote, Job is the question, Jesus is the answer. And then he moves along with his, his, his teaching and all that. It doesn't, nothing affects him, right? The vision of Jesus he has is impervious even to scripture. Scripture can't correct his understanding of Jesus. And if you do this, if you look at, at Jesus, we will do this in a minute. We will look at Jesus and say, what if all we took was Jesus? Would we expect healing every single time? Should we just take Jesus? We'll, we'll tackle that in a minute. Um, so their standard is Jesus and they believe in superior and inferior truths. And that is a terrible hermeneutic. Like, please study the Bible patiently, thoughtfully. Don't look for easy ways out of theology where you, where you just take one passage and you 
basically ignore anything else you see because this, this will be the king to you. Um, that's what false groups do all the time. They take a truth of scripture, exaggerate it beyond proportion, and use it to discount other truths of scripture. That That's un, a bad thing. We don't do that. Now I want to show you a video that's from a Q&A. And the question is, uh, does God ever ever give sickness? Does God ever cause anyone to be sick? This is Bill Johnson answering the question during a Q&A. And I think you will find his answer uh, less than satisfactory if you love the word of God and you think that the Bible is true. But you'll see how this answer flows from his one theological pillar that Jesus is perfect theology. See, the Bible, the rest of the Bible doesn't matter in this regard. Um, so let me play it for you now. Does God ever cause sickness? Does God ever choose not to heal? What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Um, Jesus was, these are three really easy questions. Which... Um, Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of a boat in the middle of a life-threatening storm. He was sleeping because the world he was living in had no storm. He was living in a realm of kingdom reality. He was actually living in a realm called peace. When they woke him up, he stood and looked at the storm, and it says he released peace over the storm. Now, how did he release peace? Because he had it to give. We know he had it because he slept in the storm. So you can only give away what you have. Can God give away sickness? No, he's not sick. can't give cancer if you don't have it. <laughs> that, I want to have a loving, gracious attitude towards Bill, but let me tackle the thing he said. It's, first off, it's just, it's not based on scripture. And I'll show you scripture to prove that. Um, second, it's not based on reality. You can't give what you don't have. Okay. First Samuel 5, 6. <clears throat> it says, But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. Does God have tumors? Does God... <laughs> you hear my cat meow? <laughs> you want some pets? She's probably going to come and invade our live stream. Does God have tumors? That's the question I'd have, have. I mean, think about this for a second. Does God have tumors? Because you can't give what you don't have. And everybody laughs approvingly because that's all the theology they need. That is so shallow. That theology is so shallow. It scares me because you could be falling into any sort of deceit or any sort of confusion if you have that kind of weak theology. The cat people are all happy right now. Other people are like, that's so distracting, Mike. So, <clears throat> sorry. I, I love my cats. I think they're great. Um... Let me give you another quote because the response, you, can you tell, this is why I share with you that pillar. The one pillar of theology for Bethel and their group is Jesus is perfect theology, interpret everything else through him, ignore inferior truths like the one where God gave people tumors. Um, <clears throat> so if Jesus is perfect theology, then if Jesus was to give someone sickness or death or something like that, then that would definitely prove that their theology is wrong and that Bill's trite answer to a very powerfully, you know, asked question like that that doesn't work revelation chapter 2 verses 22 and 23 let me read this to you this is jesus here he says indeed i will cast her into a sick bed 
I will cast her into a sickbed. This is about this, uh, this false teacher in, uh, <clears throat> in one of the churches in the letters to Re in Revelation. So Revelation 2, 22, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. And these weren't about babies. They were about her followers. Um, and the, all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each of you according to your works. This is Jesus in the New Testament giving sickness and death. And it's deserved. It's deserved and earned by those who are receiving it in this case. So this, this cannot be our theology that we just ignore the scriptures and we focus on only certain chapters of certain books of the Bible to build all of our theology, in particular, our theology on healing. It's not healthy. It's not wise. It's not sound. I'm not attacking Bill because I'm mad at him. I'm not attacking Bill because I'm jealous that I don't have enough miracles in my life and I want to discount his. I'm, no, I'm dealing with the teachings and the theology. And I, I think this is how we have to handle this group. We have to deal with the teachings and theology because their zeal is good. Miracles are wonderful. Healings are awesome. But the, their theology is off and we'll get to the miracles and the healings and some concerns I have about those in just a moment. So let's take, if we would, just the three and a half years of Jesus's ministry and we'll ask this. Because this is what a lot of people do, and, and Bill asks them to do this. He says, just read Jesus. Read the Gospels for months, months. Just read them over and over again and just ask yourself, what lifestyle of Christianity should I have after reading the Gospels? Now, this is a good thing, unless you do it myopically, unless you do it where you're only reading those and you don't read anything else in the scripture. Um, you should be reading the whole counsel of God's word because uh, God reveals things in multiple place, places in multiple ways. But let's take Jesus's three and a half years. Um what did Jesus teach? Did Jesus teach me I should expect full prosperity in every way, as Bethel teaches, financially, physically, emotionally, health-wise, in every way, I expect full uh, full health and well-being right now. Um, that is that what Jesus said? Well, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 11. Think about these words. He says, for the poor, you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. So in Jesus's life and teachings, he says the poor will always be with you. But Bethel's theology would be that we expect the church to eradicate poverty through proclaiming the gospel. There will be no more poverty. This is before the return of Christ, right? There will be no poverty. But Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. So Jesus did not expect us to eradicate all poverty. Not that we shouldn't help the poor. We should help the poor. We should have hearts for them. I'm just talking about the extreme exaggerated view of this. But if I take Jesus as perfect theology and I try to copy him in every way, does that mean I should have 12 disciples? And I'm asking sincerely, this is not mockery. Should I have 12 disciples? If I'm going to myopically look at only Jesus, am I not supposed to have 12 disciples? Should I be an itinerant preacher? I mean, I'm supposed to copy Jesus, right? Shouldn't, shouldn't I go around and be, shouldn't we all be itinerant preachers? Should I stay single? Jesus never got married, never had any relations of any kind. Shouldn't I stay that way if I take just Jesus and I ignore everything else the scripture teaches? Should I eat kosher? Jesus ate kosher. And some of you were like, yeah, I mean, eat kosher. And, and no, no harm in it either. But, but am I supposed to though? Because I look at just Jesus. He ate kosher. Should I visit Jerusalem every Passover? Because Jesus always visited Jerusalem on the Passover. You see, you can't just say, I'll do whatever Jesus did and look at things that casually. We need to look at the rest of scripture and uh, in order to balance ourselves out with fullness of truth. There is a central verse in Bill's teaching and theology. It's on his website. It's in his teachings and his studies all the time. It's in his books. Um, some of you know it if you're familiar with, with Bethel and their stuff. It's Matthew 6.10. 
where Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. So their central doctrinal thing is, you know, Jesus's perfect theology. That's the central doctrinal thing. But their center of how they practice their their um, their religion and their their lives of following Jesus, that's this verse right here, Matthew six ten, which is on earth as it is in heaven. And what they think this means is that God is going to cause everything that would be like we would we would expect to see in heaven, we'll be seeing it on earth. That's what they think that verse is saying. That's not what that verse is saying. It's a prayer. We're asking His kingdom to come. We're we're asking for the second coming of Jesus. We're asking for his will to be done. We're asking for that thing we read about in Revelation to happen now. In fact, uh, let me read this to you. If you've been to Bethel, you've been confused on, uh, she's back. You've been confused on what it means for God's kingdom to come. You think his kingdom coming is healing, right? Is miracles, is signs and wonders coming to your community right now. That is, in a sense, the kingdom of God coming near you. And this is consistent in the Gospels. The kingdom of God being upon you. So you're being invited to that kingdom. But when his kingdom actually comes to earth, that's Revelation. That's the book of Revelation. That is that is the whole book of Revelation, his kingdom coming to earth. Revelation 6, verses 16 and 17. It says, And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, who is able to stand. This is the coming of the kingdom. His wrath is coming. Let me read to you another verse in Revelation uh, verses, chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. This is a description of the kingdom coming. It's not just signs and wonders. It's not just miracles. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. AKA his kingdom has come. And the 24 elders who sat before God uh, on their on their thrones, fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come because you've taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So the coming, the God's kingdom is coming. This thing is going to be a, a wrath thing where God cleanses the earth in judgment and then recreates it. I mean, read Revelation, just read it straight through all the way and just see that it, that's the kingdom coming, specifically identified as so. That's um, another one of the problems with uh, with the theology of uh, on heaven as it is on, or on earth as it is in heaven. That's the theology, that's the practice practical theology of their church is that their standard's way too low. They focus primarily on healings. So it's number one about a person getting healed from the afflictions that they've got going on emotionally, physically, financially, that sort of thing. But that standard's way too low because the Bible says that when God's kingdom comes, when things are done on, on earth as they are in heaven, Revelation 21.4 takes place. Let me read this verse to you and see that this is not even the goal of the group. Um, it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor sh there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. That's heaven coming to earth. No death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. They're looking for financial and physical well-being and spiritual well-being. God is saying no death. So Bethel, if you're really truly, you know, this movement, this, this signs and wonders group, if you're really and truly engaging in heaven as it is in heaven, now it is on earth, then you see no death. So it's not just dying of old age. Even that's not even acceptable, it, you know, because I remember Chris Vallotton, he said no one in their congregation was allowed to die except of old age. 
I heard that from his own mouth. And they all laughed because everything, everything's kind of cheeky and humorous for them, but, um, but they mean it. But really, if you're going to take this heaven to earth seriously stuff, then you have to say no one's allowed to die, period. There is no death. Um, but they're ignoring the fact that there is a season we're in now, then there's another season coming, and that's when the full fulfillment of these beautiful blessings of God, and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. I mean, I wish I, was, I could say, oh yeah, it's going to happen right now. It's all going to happen in fullness right now. But, um, but I'm not going to go beyond the word. I'm not going to go beyond the word. So let me <clears throat> shift gears a bit. And I want to talk to you about the practice. So that's the theology. I talked to you so far to recap about the theology of that one pillar, Jesus's perfect theology and how that's used to ignore a lot of scripture. Um, then I talked to you about their one practical motivating scripture, which is on heaven as it is on earth and showed how they're, they're misinterpreting that. That's about the second coming. That's not just about um, healings and stuff like that. And then I'm going to talk to you about the practice because what they've done is they've gotten a large group of people to really feel like there's a ton of miracles taking place all over the place. And it's really sent out a vibe to others where they come and they visit Bethel for miracles. Uh, like Nabil Qureshi, wonderful guy, wonderful man of God. He visited Bethel for miracles a couple different times while he had cancer. Um, he actually received, he according to him, he I've listened to his vlogs, you know, he said he received hundreds of prophecies that he would be healed of his stomach cancer. And, um, and he was encouraged by those things. Let's not discount that. But it didn't happen. But I mean, how is it that you can get hundreds of prophecies wrong? hundreds, not one, hundreds, um, because of what I'm about to tell you right now. Here's the things they practice. Regarding healing, they encourage, I think, fake healing. They first tell people that God is always willing to heal. Now, follow with me now. Imagine you're, at your church, you start doing this. You, you start employing these practices. You tell them one, God is always willing to heal. Always, always, always willing and ready to heal right now. Not in the distant future. It doesn't heal even when I die and I'm in his presence. Obviously, I'm in fullness of health. Um, so that's the first thing. The next thing they do though, because I feel like this healing doesn't take place. So then they lower the threshold for confirming healing. They lower the threshold for confirming healings. So they'll pray, you know, Bill will say, um, I really feel like God's, I got a word. Uh, it's people who have joint problems. You've got joint problems, um, you know, or you have headaches or you've got, you've got something wrong with your stomach. There's a growth in your stomach. He'll, he'll put out a word. And then he says, um, raise your hand. And then he has whoever's got their hand raised, the rest of the congregation puts their hands on that person and prays for them. This is all, nothing's wrong with this so far, right? This is fine. This is good. We should probably do more prayer for healing in most of our churches and not shy away from it. Um, I think we should be encouraged in this area by Bill. But what happens next is after they pray, they bring their hands down and then Bill says, hey, anybody who was healed, raise, raise your hand and wave them in the air. Raise your hands and wave them in the air. Okay, how do you even know you're healed? You know, like, I don't know if I'm healed right now. Like say you've got a hernia. I've had three, so I know about hernias. Okay. <laughs> um, so you've got a hernia and you go, am I healed? And you're like, well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's not protruding at the moment, but I'm so excited. And I thought I would be, I'm raising my hand. And when I raise my hands up, people start shouting and cheering. And it's this wonderful moment, a really wonderful moment. But what they've done is they've lowered the bar for actually confirming that you're healed. If you go to a prayer room at Bethel and, and you pray and you're like, yeah, I can't move my hand. It, it really hurts. And they pray over it and they pray over it and they go, try to move it now. And you move it and they go, how's it feel? And you go, it feels a little better. And they go, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let's pray again. How's it feel now? I feel it's a little bit. Let's, let's pray again. Let's pray again. Let's praise the Lord. Let's pray again. And I love the persistence in prayer. That's not a problem. But the pressure on the people to say that they're healed and the immediate instantaneous celebration as though this healing is totally legit. It encourages an environment where fake things happen. It also, they decrease the abil their ability to, to say that someone's not been healed. 
And one of the ways they do this is they say, um, if you leave the building and you felt pretty good, like you might've been healed. So you said, maybe I'm healed. And they celebrated like you were, then you leave later and you start feeling your symptoms again. They don't say, oh, you, you weren't really healed. You just had an adrenaline rush. What they say is you lost your healing. See, cause now I can still feed the idea that those healings are really taking place. This has caused them to have to, um, create, uh, actually whole programs around the idea of people keeping their healing, how to keep your healing. And they have training for how to keep your healing because people don't keep their healing or they weren't healed. Maybe it was just, they were excited. They were blessed. They were ministered to in some way, but it wasn't a healing. So the multiple prayer, the stress, the, the encouragement for quick and immediate celebration of what might be healing the, um, the claim that when someone wasn't healed, that they really just lost their healing. I think that's happening as well. And it creates this momentum so that in the services, people come in anticipating healing, which is, I mean, that's kind of a good thing, right? But it's also potentially a bad thing. It's kind of both. They totally give glory to Jesus when people are healed. And so let's not knock them for that. They're not like giving glory to some false God or something like that. I just think that it's not genuine. Sometimes some of these healings are legit. And I mean, go watch the videos yourself and hear the testimonies. And unless you're like hyper skeptic mode, if you're just going like, is it reasonable? You go, man, that guy was healed. That kid was healed. That family came back years later to tell the story of how that healing did happen and it stayed. And so we should rejoice in, the, in, in these things. You have a room full of people praying for healing. Healing happens, not surprised. But I'm talking about the, some of the gimmickry that's going on around that. Um, now, I think they feel they have to have the gimmickry in order to create those occasional healings. And if that's true, I, I just don't think that that's how the spirit of truth works. I don't think so. I think there's a better way. Um, another thing they teach about healing that keeps, keeps this momentum going is they talk about the fragility of the anointing. Um, for, for instance, uh, Bill's son, um, who's a grown man, he has a speech impediment because he has hearing loss. Like, I think it's like 90% one ear or something like that. And so he doesn't hear very well. He wears a hearing aid. And Bill says that he's prayed for healing for his son and, and God told him his son is already healed. Not that it's going to happen. It's already happened. This is years ago. It's, but there's no physical manifestation of healing yet. And so Bill in his message where he taught about this, he says, um, I just can't think about that because it'll ruin the anointing. That's the thing. You see, you're not even allowed to process this stuff because you have to keep yourself in a certain mindset that I think is not established biblically and is not established experientially in either way. Um, but if you teach people that if they think wrong, they're going to lose the anointing, then it creates this cycle where they they sort of feel scared not to not to come back into that thought process. Um, yes, I'll, I I don't I thought I had a video for you guys about the healing rooms. Um, yeah, let's look at this video here. We're coming into a day where the presence of the Lord will be so pronounced in a meeting that everyone who walks into the building will be healed. That's not. That's not a theory. It's already happened. But what I want is for it to be a sustained reality in the life of the church. Okay, and then I've got one more. I refuse That's, to create a theology. Okay, so I've got one more video related to healing I want to show you. We'll move on to something else in a moment. Prophecy actually is what we'll move on to in a second. <clears throat> but... Uh, there's always the, the dangling carrot. That's what this video was for. There's always the dangling carrot of God's releasing more. If you watch these videos and see these ministries, they're always on the cusp, on the verge of ultimate breakthrough, of achieving their dreams. It's always on the verge. And a year later, it's on the verge. And 10 years later, it's right on the verge. And 20 years later, don't lose your fire. It's right on the verge. Um, 
but it hasn't manifested. And I mean, it'd be great if it happened. I mean, I would go there for healing if, if, if that was going on. That'd be great. God bless Bethel and make it all happen for real like that. That's cool. But but we shouldn't be faking stuff, right? So um, here's the video that talks about how to keep their healing. And I'll get into more detail um, after sharing this with you. And so then they have that. and then um, But they have a time that they teach them afterwards. Like, hey, here's how to walk in this miracle that you've received today. And so just trying to kind of give them the things to think about and how to fill the house again. It's one of the best things that the healing rooms do mm -hmm. is that follow-up meeting where they begin to teach them. So the follow-up meetings, he goes, this is a, it's like a 13 minute video, the one I was just showing you. Um, and he, he kind of takes a really long time to explain what he means by keeping your healing, but he gives a few different ways of keeping your healing and things like, um, uh, making sure that you live, live a clean life. So you don't bring it on yourself, making sure that you are focused on the Lord because that healing demons are going to try to come back and, and reenter and things like that. And I don't, the thing is, I don't fully disagree with anything in that list of things. It's when you add it all together with a false theology that you start to realize we're creating a movement that's uncritical of fake healing. And how can that be wise? We should be loving, we should be praying for healing and we should be celebrating it when it happens, but we shouldn't be fooling ourselves. Um, what fruit can come of this? You know, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth. And so we should be speaking about true things. So let's talk now. My last major subject is prophecy. Um, what happens at Bethel more than healing is prophecy. There's tons of prophecy that goes on at Bethel. And what I mean here is not just that Chris Vallotton, the prophet, speaks prophetically. I mean, everybody is speaking prophetically. Um, now, theologically, I fully support prophecy. In fact, I have videos that talk about a biblical view on the gift of prophecy. And you, Christian, you you should be praying for prophecy. You should be asking the Lord and seeking for God to give you words of wisdom or knowledge to speak into someone else's life. This is good. I See, because I'm not here attacking healing or anything. I love these things. We should be inspired to do them. Don't, don't do that thing where we go, they're being weird, so I'll pull away from the goodness of this good thing because they're doing it weird. I don't want to be like that. But I do think that I can demonstrate where uh, Bethel is getting a little off base on the issue of prophecy. So I'm not attacking prophecy. I'm here pointing out a concern I have with Bethel in particular. Listen to this video where he describes how he got people to start prophesying. Remember, Bill was in Weaverville before he came to Bethel. And in Weaverville is where he first saw the movement taking place, first saw the gifts of the Spirit flowing. And so this is how it happened. I want to pray for this prophetic anointing. You, you guys would laugh if you knew how, I'm just going to tell you. I can actually go a couple minutes over in this service. I don't in the other one, but this one I can. Yeah. You know how we started the prophetic in Weaverville years ago? There was no zero prophetic. Zero. There wasn't a prophetic mouse. There wasn't a prophetic flea. There was zero when we moved there. So I'd get men, sit around a table. And I'd turn to the one on my right, I'd say, if Jesus were to walk in the room right now, what do you think he'd say? And they'd go, oh, I think he'd say. And I'd go to the next one, we'd go all the way around the room. And after we got all the way around the room, I'd say, do you realize that you all just prophesied? And they're like, oh, is that easy? See, when you strive is when you miss it. It's when you relax in who you are, 
abiding in presence, abiding in his voice, it becomes very natural to speak words that are life-giving. Okay, um, <clears throat> what, I, what I hear there, and I think you hear it too, is that he encouraged people to just say something that they, they imagined, and then he called it prophecy. And he tells them that's how it started. That's how it started in Weaverville. We, we, we just got people around and we just said, just say something, man. Say something nice that maybe Jesus would say if he was here. That's prophecy. Is that prophecy? No. No. Is it wrong? No. But it's wrong to call it prophecy. <laughs> it's, it's not wrong to be like, I wonder what Jesus would think of what I'm doing in my life right now. And think, I think the Lord would probably think this and use your knowledge of Jesus to today. And that's a great thing. Nothing's wrong with that. But when you say that's prophecy, that's where you crossed the line. So there is an encouragement and you are trained to do this. Like if you go to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, or if you get their information, you're trained to go to your church and do this with your staff, uh, you know, just basically get them to fake prophecy. Um, can real prophecy come out of that? Yeah. Can fake prophecy come out of that? Yep, <laughs> absolutely. And it will. So let me give you the theological significance of this kind of prophecy. The Bible actually talks, did, did you know this? The Bible talks about three sources for prophecy. There are not two. We tend to think, is it from God or is it from Satan? Is it from God or is it from Satan? Where is this prophecy coming from? Now, God has his prophets. We know that in scripture. Satan has his prophets too. We know that from scripture as well, false prophets. But the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel reveal there's a third kind of prophecy. And that I think is largely, the, that's the kind of prophecy that's happening in Bethel. I don't think it's demonic. Most of it, I'm not saying even some of it is, I'm just saying, I'm not making that decision. I don't hear all the stuff that's going on there. But I think most of it's probably not, okay? And here's what I think most of it is. Jeremiah 23, 16 backs this up. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. A vision of their own heart. So that there is such a thing as prophecy that comes from my heart, not God's heart. Prophecy that comes from my heart, not even Satan. It's just what I wish was true. It's like I dip into my heart and go, oh, you know what? Jerusalem, I love Jerusalem. I love your people. You will not be attacked. You will not be destroyed. God will lift you up. God will raise you up. And, and that's what Jeremiah's prophets, the false prophets were saying. And he says, don't listen to them. That's from their heart, not me. Jeremiah 23, a uh, little bit later in the same chapter, verses 25 and 26, it says, I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy in my lies in my name saying, I've dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the, de of the deceit of their own heart. And the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So I have to be careful that I don't start speaking things that aren't true because they're from my heart thinking that that makes it true. Again, Ezekiel 13, two says this son of man prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. There's this difference between their heart and God's word. See, this is, I know I'm doing good because the cat has to come over here and confirm. She's like, preach it, preach it, Mac. You're doing, oh, look, you're doing good. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> so what's happening? When I gather a group of men together and I say, hey, what do you think Jesus would say? What do you think Jesus would say? What do you think he'd say? And then I, and then I tell them, you prophesied. They spoke from their own heart and I called it prophecy. Now, when I do this for a whole culture of people, when I do it to a whole community, I create a lot of prophecies, but they're coming from your own heart. And so let me give you one other video that confirms this. Um, this is what they do, not just in a private meeting in Weaverville. This is what they do in their training sessions for how to prophesy. 
So we've, we've got to applaud. You know, Chris does an amazing job. He'll take like a room like this. He'll pair you off and he'll say, all right, everybody on the right, give a word of knowledge. In other words, something you couldn't know in the natural about the person you're faced off with. At the end, we'll ask the question, you know, how many of you got it right? They raise their hands. Everybody claps. He says, how many of you got it wrong? They raise their hands. Everybody claps. You know, we're not talking about moral failure. We're talking about as leaders, we have to create an environment where risk is applauded knowing that eventually there will be breakthrough as long as you stay accountable so there's there's i mean there is that truth like stay accountable right but and that's a good principle you know risk and virtue and accountability and things like that but what's being encouraged is basically fake prophecy false prophecy in the name of the lord they don't care if it's right or wrong we just want to get you started prophesying right because what they've learned through their experimentation Notice this, what Bethel's done is not moving in the spirit. It's social experimentation, social engineering in a church environment. Then they've learned how to take that social engineering, turn it into a formula that they can bring into other churches. And that's what they're doing with their movement worldwide. Um, I think that this brings a lot of clarity to it. You hear the quotes out of their own mouths. This is what you're doing, man. You're, you're creating prophecies of your own heart. And this is why... In the, the doctrine of prophecy that they have, they have to have artificial filters for prophecy. Because if you have a room full of people and they just say what's in their heart, some of them are going to be like, you're in sin and God wants you to repent. You know, I mean, they're going to just say random things that aren't right, um, or at least aren't, maybe they're even right, but maybe they're not appreciated and they're killing the vibe. And uh, and so how do, you, how do you filter this after encouraging them to say just anything? They have a rule. You can only encourage, you can only lift up, you can only edify. That's the rule for prophecy. He gets into that in, in lots of details, and Chris Vallotton talks about it a lot too. The only prophecies that are allowed in Bethel are anything encouraging. And if it's wrong, hey, at least it was encouraging. Now, this has led to, now that's, not, that's artificial, right? Look at the prophecies in the Bible. Like, they're not all encouraging. Even in the scriptures of the New Testament, they're not all encouraging. But since we're only going to look at Jesus, and Jesus, you know, actually, I mean, he actually does prophesy, and it's not encouraging either. I mean, look at what he says to Chorazin and Bethsaida, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't understand how they even, where they get that from. That doesn't even fit with their first pillar. But um, if you listen to Chris Vallotton, you'll hear he contradicts himself all the time and he, don't, he doesn't think it matters. Um, that's just the truth of his teaching. It's, he's constantly contradicting himself. Um, anyway, I, I don't have videos queued up for that, so I'll move forward. But, <clears throat> but yeah, this has led to some weird things. Yeah, they only allow encouraging, but they've, now everything's prophetic, right? They look for prophecy in like the butterfly flew by my window. That was prophecy. The way the moon looked in the, in, you know, behind the tree, that was prophecy. So they now also have prophetic art. They have prophetic dance and they have something nowadays called destiny cards. Some of only some of a minority of them are using that are basically the Christian equivalent of a tarot card. And they take these prophetic art pieces and they put them on cards and they deal them for people and they look for, it, it inspires the prophetic it's, it's very quickly moving to something really kind of weird and even a little scary. Um, there are consequences when we tolerate too much error. We should tolerate a certain amount of error, yeah. But not when it comes to the theological standards of who Jesus is. Not when it comes to what it means to, to speak in the name of the Lord and that sort of thing. So are people really getting healed at Bethel? Yeah. Um, are people really not getting healed at Bethel who think they are? Yeah. I, I, I have stories and testimonies of both of those things. Is it really based on simple faith in God's revelation? No. Um, it's based on an artificial filtered theology where you go to the Bible and you tick certain things out and you ignore the rest and you call them superior truths. Um, but here's my final thoughts and then I'll take your guys' questions. Uh, please send them right in the chat. Send them, just post your questions up there. AJ is going to send those to me in just two seconds. Any questions you guys have. 
Here's my final thoughts though. There's a chance that someone at Bethel is going to watch this video. Maybe um, even one of the leaders. I, I don't think they tend to pay attention to videos like this. I hope they realize I'm not just attacking. I'm trying to discern. But here's my thoughts. I would say first this. Uh, if, if Bill Johnson were watching right now, I would say this. Uh, Pastor Bill, uh, thank you. Actually, first let me start with this. You actually inspire me to pray more, to trust God more, to seek God more. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I, I, I'm able to watch your videos and receive inspiration through a lot of what you say, but I can't follow your theology or your hermeneutic of how you interpret the Bible. I think it's dangerous. And the way that you practice it in practical life encourages, I think, error for the sake of getting at some sort of spiritual revival that isn't exactly genuine. Um, you say uh, you won't let experience change your theology, but I would encourage you to think about it this way. If experience doesn't matter, then why fabricate or exaggerate or distort your experiences, like waving your hands if you're healed, when you know that a lot of that might not be real? Um, if experience isn't the thing, then why why bother working so hard at creating an experience? Because that's what I see is there's a, there's a filtered theology and there's an emphasis on experience. John uh, 5.19, Jesus says this. He says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. Now, here's an interesting, Bill. This is for you. Is You teach that the Father sometimes does what he sees you doing. Yeah, I've, I've got video where you're saying, you can put a mark on somebody through prayer, and then God says, Oh, my son or daughter made a mark, so I'm going to go do what they said. and So I can proclaim truths that, that God's Spirit's not guiding me to proclaim. And then God will respond to that. But if you're really following Jesus, when he healed people, he only did what he saw the father doing. So he had some sort of spiritual knowledge that God was at the father was actually healing that person. And then he went in and did it. So he didn't just assume everyone was to be healed. Although he healed everybody he came across, it seems just about. So I think that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And I think you encourage, encourage error. This isn't just um, messing up, but this is saying things as if they're from God when you have no reason to think that they're from God. So the movement that you're creating is artificial and it's, you cannot have error like that without having consequence. We reap what we sow. So I'd encourage you to keep your zeal, but change your theology. So um, what I'm going to do right now, guys, is open it up to your questions. Um, thanks for joining me. I'll bring up our, uh, our live chat here as well. <clears throat> here we go. So Elizabeth Hernandez says, uh, is it due to our lack of faith that we cannot heal? It seems like Jesus, uh, Jesus' appointment, uh, appointed his disciples to do this. Are we not his disciples? I'm just trying to understand. Um, this is the thing. Uh, there, all The only thing I would do to change, like say Bill's theology on, on healing would be to add that sometimes it probably is God's will that someone's not healed for a time. I mean, that seems to be very clear in scripture, I think, from clear teachings, not just from taking, uh, you know, one portion of a text. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Faith is one of the reasons why people are not healed. Um, I can't escape that. That's definitely true. We, we see that consistently in scripture that faith, but here's the question I have to follow that up with. Am I supposed to stir up my faith? And if I do stir up my faith, does that guarantee a healing? Uh, that's where I, I have a problem. I think that even if you have true faith, and Paul's thorn in the flesh is a great example of this. Paul wanted to be delivered from something very bad in his life, some very unpleasant experience that was ongoing, that was physical. And he prayed three times and the Lord said, no, my grace is enough for you. See, Paul had faith and he had God's ear and he prayed and God said, no, this is part of my plan. It's to keep him humble according to scripture. So yes, faith is one of the checkboxes for healing. It's one of the checkboxes, but it's not the only one. So, um, 
I, I hope that offers some balance for you. From Truth and Grace, it says, uh, ask Mike if he thinks maybe their idea of sanctification is not just off. It seems we need to experience these hardships. My grace is sufficient. Actually, you know what? Um, Truth and Grace, I, I've watched a ton of their videos. They do not preach that it's okay to live a sinful lifestyle in any way. You're not saying they did, but just to bring the clarity to it. They do teach that you need to go out there and live a godly and righteous life. And they really strongly preach that. And I think that's a good thing. Um, so I applaud them for that. Um, and they do teach that that through hardships we learn and stuff like that. But they do kind of stay away from teaching too much on that. The New Testament talks about that a lot, you know. Like I can think of James um, that were being perfected and First Peter, how the like refining fire and all this kind of stuff that there's... There's definitely this refinement that goes on through our trials and sufferings. They do tend to shy away from that, except when they say, we went through that trial, we went through that hard time and of, of, of sickness or illness. And what we learned was we learned how to pray harder. We learned how to have more faith for healing and then they move on. So when it comes to sickness or illness, that's where they stop doing the biblical thing on that issue. Um, also from Elizabeth Hernandez, did Jesus ever say no to healing anyone? Um, it depends on what you mean by Jesus, right? So in Jesus's three and a half years of ministry on the earth, he never said no to healing anyone. Not that I'm aware of. In Jesus's 30 years of life before that ministry, he said no to healing everyone. He didn't heal anybody he came across as far as we know. Um, in the time since then, when the apostles were going out, there were seasons where people were constantly healed in the book of Acts. Jesus said yes to healing those people. There's times where like uh, Paul says he leaves um, uh, Trophimus sick. I think it was what it was. He left him sick in Miletus, I think was the city. And so Jesus didn't heal him. Uh, Paul prays for healing and the Lord Jesus tells him, my grace is sufficient for you. So he says no to healing him there. And there's times in other places in the Old and New Testament where God doesn't heal people. But the problem is when you say, I'm only going to take the three and a half years of ministry and make that my whole theology. And I think that that's unbiblical to do that um, because that same spirit of Christ is the one who inspired the rest of the scriptures too. Uh, from Don Snyder, it says, does this movement have a conception or prediction of end times? It kind of resembles uh, RCC that sort of overlooks revelation since they believe they have a representative of Christ on earth. Okay, the what is their eschatological view? They think... Um, I think they're dominion theology and they think that they're supposed to sort of bring in the kingdom to the earth. This is why, so when you hear Bill Johnson, if you hear his teaching a lot, you'll hear him use the phrase disciple the nations. And then he'll counter it with this. He goes, I don't mean disciple individuals in each nation. He means disciple the nation. So he sees the church as infiltrating the world and taking over, um, not with like a milita militaristic style takeover, but with a servanthood mentality. But he sees, basically that's a dominion theology. So they, they think that they're supposed to... Uh, take over the world. Um, I know that sounds, that sounds creepy, but that's, that's what they're, that's what they're thinking. Yeah. And I mean, I'd rather have them running the world than a lot of the people that are running the world today though. So I'll give them that. But I think that eschatology is wrong, uh, but that's where they're at, I believe. Uh, and from Judah Matthews, it says, uh, Mike, can you recommend some teachers or resources to help us be more big, excuse me, become more biblically thinking, more biblical thinking. There it is. Ministries like yours that are dedicated to biblical truth and not ideology. Well, I'll say, um, I think that having a variety of teachers is really great. Um, so 
I okay. I, I love I, I, some of the teachers. I really like enjoy listening to on a regular basis. I, I like podcasts and online and stuff like that. Uh, this might surprise some of you guys. Uh, I listen to um, uh, James White. I really love James White. Shout out to James White. I love him. He'd probably chew me out, but <laughs> but I love him anyway. Uh, I listen to uh, Doctor Brown, uh, Doctor Michael Brown. I love his stuff too, and he's actually defended Bill Johnson, and I think. He's one of the guys that defended the person, but didn't look at the teachings very carefully. Um, and I've also, I love, uh, I like uh, even the Calvinist guys like R.C. Sprawl and John MacArthur and uh, and those guys. But I don't only listen to them and I don't think you should either. Um, I also think uh, Leighton Flowers is a great guy to check out, especially if you're hearing a lot of Calvinists and you want to hear the other side of the story. Leighton Flowers has some really good content on that. And uh, forgive me, Leighton, for saying this, but he does better in his teaching videos than he does in his debates. Debate is a very difficult thing to do, and he's gone against James White, who's like the king debater, you know. Uh, so I would say his teaching videos are going to be even better for clarity than the debate issues. So th those are just some people who you could look at. I, I, I'm just saying these are guys that I've found that I've liked online. I don't think there's any one person who I would say, that's it. Take their word for it and just run. You know, don't worry about other things. Um, I can't do that with anybody. Don't do it with me. Don't make me the only guy you listen to. Don't do that with anybody else. There's only one word we take and run, and that's the word of God. Everybody else is just a commentator. They're just common potatoes. Um, so there's, I mean, there's some ideas for you. Uh, they all have their shortcomings. So do I. Uh, but that's how it is. So uh, Mike, oh, oh, you know who else? I, I really like, uh, just for thinking, maybe uh, Greg Kokel has got some really cool stuff. I used to listen to his stuff on online all the time. Really neat, really neat thinker. Um, and I like when he handles biblical issues, even though he's not teaching scripture verse by verse. Um, so from Judah Matthews, Mike, what about Matthew 21, 21? If you have faith and do not doubt, you can command a mountain to throw itself into the sea and will, and it will be done. I don't even know for sure how I'm supposed to interpret this passage. I don't want to water it down. I'm very cautious to not do that. But <clears throat> here's the question. Uh, all I have to have is faith, right? Okay. Is that the only verse that talks about answered prayer? No, there's lots of other scriptures. Uh, so let's put them all together to get a full teaching on, on prayer instead of just one verse by itself. Definitely faith is is a huge like thing that levers the, the, the movement of prayer and the answers of prayer. But also James tells us that you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So faith might be there, but it was the prayer was for your own pleasure. It also says um, uh, in 1 John that, that whenever we ask his will, if we have asked for his will, we have what we ask of him. So God's will matters in prayer too. So the best thing I can do is to try to put all of this together and say, um, nothing's impossible through prayer. Nothing is impossible. It's simply faith that's required, regardless of the size of the problem. But I still say, Lord, check my motives. Lord, let it be according to your will. I think that that's appropriate. That answers all those questions. And perhaps if God is the one imparting me this gift of, of faith in that moment of prayer, Maybe it's him that's showing me, I'm going to cast that mountain into the sea. And I go, I believe you, Lord. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray you command that mountain. And then it happens. So maybe he's the one that's providing some of that faith as well. Maybe. I'm not 100% sure on how to answer that. Just don't isolate that verse from all others. Uh, from uh, Chavita or CH4Vita, it says, Have you ever heard Bill Johnson clearly preach the gospel message? Um, no. No, but I've heard him agree with the gospel. And I've heard it several times, right? We believe in the gospel. We believe in judgment. We believe you need Jesus and you need to give your life to Jesus and believe in his death and resurrection. So I've heard them kind of 
it's always a nod though. Um, it, there's always a big but at the end of it. So it's like this. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we think that signs and wonders point to the gospel. And then it's all about signs and wonders. I think that they have a distorted view of the gospel in that it's really focused on signs and wonders more than anything else. I've never heard simply a gospel message from him. Um, I would like to hear that. I have looked for that online. I've looked a lot, a lot, a lot. Send me the message if you know of it. I'd love to hear it. That would be great. Um, from Carl Wellborn. Do they teach against the non-negotiables like the triune God, salvation is by grace through faith, virgin birth, sinlessness of Christ, death, burial, and physical resurrection? They teach most of those, uh, but I have not heard any discussion of the Trinity. Um, I don't. I haven't specifically heard them say the virgin birth, although I'm pretty sure that they believe that. The death, burial, and resurrection, yes. The, the sinlessness of Christ, yes. I have heard all those things in the teaching at one point or another. From Rona 5, doesn't Bill Johnson teach little God's mentality? <clears throat> um, no, not exactly. So like Kenneth Copeland does, right? He's like, we're all little gods. And I mean, Kenneth Copeland, like, like if you don't think he's weird, like you're not paying attention. <laughs> but um, but Bill Johnson is very different kind of school, right? Um, they Although they will partner sometimes, I think, I th the, these groups, maybe not him personally, but the groups will definitely partner together. So what does he teach about this? He teaches something like this. If I can summarize the teaching I heard uh, in one of his videos, he said, and when Jesus became flesh, right? The word became flesh. And and as I am walking in, in Christ and I'm giving out prophecies and I'm, and I'm speaking out words of healing, the word is becoming flesh again in me. What does he mean by that? I have no idea. Like, <laughs> I mean, I get the vibe. I get the, the, the feeling of it, but I don't know the meaning of it. And I don't think, the people at Bethel do either. In fact, they would be like, Mike, well, you're not spiritual enough to know. It's spiritually discerned. And I'll be like, okay, go for it. You know, um, he teaches around issues and they always teach big picture topics. So when it gets to nitty gritty, black and white, this is true. This is not, that's pretty rare. I had to work really hard to find the quotes I did in the videos I did. If you've tried to listen to their videos, you probably will just get inspired. And then you'll be like, nah, I don't totally agree, but I feel really inspired. Good. Be inspired. Take the truth and run with it. But, uh, but that's pretty much my my response there. Never heard him say anything specifically about being little gods. Um, so wow, that took a lot to prepare. And I hope that it's really fruitful for you guys. They're getting ready to ramp up all of their all of their their outreach stuff. And and by outreach, I mean they want to change the church, not just the world. And um, they're ramping this up big time over the next few years. So I think a video like this sitting online can be incredibly fruitful. I think it can help people have clarity, um, know that they're actually hearing quotes and it's doing better than just demonizing, but it's pointing out the real issues. I, I hope it's been beneficial for you guys. I'm not sure what I'll, do, I'll be doing next week. I haven't had any time to prepare or think about it. Just been real busy thinking about doing, uh, doing this stuff today. So um, Lord bless you guys. <clears throat> In closing, I'll just say this. Let's not, let's not discount healing or prophecy, or the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, because we see someone doing things a little off. If anything, what their movement tells me is how hungry people are to see the movement and work of the Holy Spirit in genuineness. So why don't we redouble our energy and effort in that way? And um, and we'll, t we'll, we'll not throw out the baby with the bathwater. I think these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Bethel's not a, not a church full of demons. I think they're a church full of people that are sincere, who have some things off, and... Um, and we don't want to copy those things, if nothing else. But we still want to, I, I would still fellowship with them. I would still call them my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Absolutely. So 
so God bless you guys. Um, I think, I think I'm all done.